The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. A reading from the book of Exodus. Listen for God's word to you. The Holy One said to Moses, Cut two stone tablets like the first ones. I'll write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke into pieces. Get ready in the morning and come up to Mount Sinai. Stand there on top of the mountain in front of me. No one else can come up with you. Don't allow anyone even to be seen anywhere on the mountain. Don't even let sheep and cattle graze in front of the mountain. So Moses cut two stone tablets like the first ones. He got up early in the morning and climbed up Mount Sinai, just as the Holy One had commanded him. He carried the two stone tablets in his hands. The Holy One came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed the name, the Holy One. The Holy One passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, the Holy One, the Holy One, a God who is compassionate and merciful, very patient, full of great loyalty and faithfulness, showing great loyalty to a thousand generations, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion, yet by no means clearing the guilty, punishing for their parents' sins, their children and their grandchildren, as well as the third and fourth generation. At once, Moses bowed to the ground and worshiped. He said, if you approve of me, my Lord, please go along with us. Although these are stubborn people, forgive our guilt and our sin. Take us as your own possession. The Holy One said, I now make a covenant in front of all your people. I'll perform dramatic displays of power that have never been done before anywhere on earth or in any nation. All the people who are around you will see what the Holy One does because I will do an awesome thing with you. The word of the Lord. Thank be to God. Our second reading comes to us from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Listen, the wisdom of the cross is foolishness to human wisdom, but for us, it is the wisdom and power of God. If I speak in tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, 
I am a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and everything else, and if I have such complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything that I have and hand over my own body to feel good about what I've done, but I don't have love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will be brought to an end. As for tongues, they will stop. As for knowledge, it will be brought to an end. We know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, what is partial will be brought to an end. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child reason like a child, think like a child. But now that I have become an adult, I've put an end to childish things. Now we see a reflection in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know partially, but then I will know completely in the same way that I have been completely known. Now, faith, hope, and love remain these three things, and the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During the last session of her summer course, one of Diana Speckler's students announced to the class that he had just signed a contract to star on a reality TV show called Arranged Marriage. Women all over the country were applying to be his wife. In late February, he'd meet three candidates for an hour each, choose one of them to marry, and then his wedding and the first year of his marriage would be broadcast on CBS. Speckler and her students were dumbfounded. Why are you doing this? He answered, 
I want to find true love. I don't think that's how true love works. At issue is not the quality of love in arranged marriages versus marriages in which spouses choose one another. At issue is the adjective, true. True love is honest and it is messy. True love is vulnerable. True love involves growth. True love doesn't make for good television. What this young man wanted was perfect love, idealized love, the kind of love described in the first letter to the Corinthians. Sweating underneath his suit at a cousin's wedding, he heard a verklempt aunt read aloud, love is patient, love is kind, love isn't jealous, it doesn't brag, it isn't arrogant, it isn't rude, it doesn't seek its own advantage, it isn't irritable, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And he thought to himself, Yes, that's what I'm looking for. Perhaps he did not hear his aunt continue reading. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, reason like a child, think like a child. But now that I've become an adult, I've put an end to childish things. I've never noticed that in the middle of Paul's celebration of love is a summons to grow up. I've certainly never heard a preacher make that the takeaway message to a wedding sermon. Of course, we who have never sought love on primetime television know that love isn't child's play, nor is romantic love or marriage the only or best expression of love. The kind of love Paul praises in his letter to the church in Corinth is a force that binds the entire community together. Not all of the members of the body of Christ have gifts of prophecy or teaching or healing, or speaking, but to all God has given the greater gift, love. Love makes music out of the words of human beings and angels. Love melts cold hearts and tunes listening ears. Love gives freedom the shape of service, towel and basin at hand. Love is, as love does, wrote M. Scott Peck. Still, it's hard to grow up in a world where love is a gift so often refused. 
consider Peck's definition of love as the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. That is, the growth of the human spirit, which does not correlate to growth in inches and feet. Most of us, I dare say, sustain deep wounds to our souls before we finish growing in height, often at the hands of people who said they loved us. Families, whether they are blood relatives or a faith community, are full of good intentions. But Paul didn't write to the church in Corinth based on their intentions. He confronted their actions. The way they let some members of the community go hungry. Their rivalries based on charismatic leaders. The way their cavalier attitudes tripped up other believers. Everything is permitted, Paul wrote, affirming Christian freedom, but not all things build others up. No one should look out for their own advantage, but they should look out for each other. In other words, stretch yourself, extend yourself, nurture growth, love one another. Love is a gift, but it is also a task. We love because God first loved us, wrote another apostle. And Paul would agree. In fact, he would remind us that we can extend ourselves for another's growth. Because God extended God's own self, to us to remember, look at the cross. There is God, confounding human wisdom. There is God coming among us as one of the poor. There is God embracing a world which confuses love with abuse. In Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, God reaches out with scarred hands, saying, my heart breaks for the ways in which you have been hurt. And you are more than your wounds. You were made for a life flourishing in love. On the cross, we hear an echo of the mystery that rang in Moses' ears. The Holy One, the Holy One, a God who is compassionate and merciful, very patient, full of great loyalty and faithfulness, showing great loyalty to a thousand generations, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. 
God doesn't ignore the ways in which we wound each other. The Holy One acknowledges that the consequences of sin impact even the third and fourth generations. God doesn't exact a special punishment so much as hold human beings accountable. We who want immediate reconciliation, who want to forgive and forget without repairing torn relationships, we struggle with this side of God. But our good intentions have not borne much fruit. Better to be saved by grace, even if it is harder. The Holy One does not let us skip out on repentance and reparation because God knows how much we can grow. Of course God knows. God made us. God knows us better than we know ourselves. God is faithful to us for a thousand generations, to infinity and beyond. And so even when we break covenant, even when we tear at the fabric of community, even when we succumb to self-hatred and despair, God shows up in love and gives us another chance. Michael von Allman had been given a second chance. Sixteen years after he was released from prison on parole, the Innocence Project proved to the courts in Kentucky that von Allman had been convicted for a crime he did not commit. After 27 years a felon, he got his voice back. Von Allman lifted his voice to speak out against the death penalty, which is how he met Sister Helen Prejean, author of the book Dead Man Walking, which was made into a movie in 1995. He was on the road with Sister Helen when news about Ted Maynard's hospitalization reached him. Mike and Ted had done time together, helping each other make it through. Like Mike, Ted maintained his innocence. His case was too old for DNA testing to be any help, but Mike had been trying to win him parole. In fact, Mike was the only person, the first person to visit Ted since 1979. That's why the hospital had called him. There was no one else in Ted's life. The doctors explained the dire situation. Ted was on a ventilator. His throat was paralyzed. In order to keep him alive, they would have to install a feeding tube. They explained the procedure and said 
he'll be confined to a bed for the rest of his life. Is that what Ted would want? After considering the options, after standing in the hospital room with his friend, Mike determined no. That's not what Ted would want. He had been confined long enough. When the respiratory therapist removed the ventilation tube, Ted began to decline right away. It was obvious that he would be dead in just a few minutes. Mike stood by his friend's side and said, Ted, it's Mike. You're in the hospital. You're not going back to prison. In the awkward silence that followed, Mike suddenly thought about Sister Helen. Her message against the death penalty, a belief that love is more powerful than violence or hatred, flashed through his mind. And without a second thought, he said, Ted, I love you. What do you say to someone when you know that they are about to die? When you see the numbers on the monitor declining? You say, I love you. In that moment, the dropping numbers paused, hovering, as though Ted were processing what he had just heard, the words that no one had said to him in a meaningful way in over 40 years. And then the numbers rose just for a few seconds, as if Ted were saying, yes, this is freedom. Being loved is freedom. When the numbers plunged, Ted was dead. Wrongfully convicted of murder in 1969, he was free and he was loved. What about us? We too are wounded ones and we are so worthy of love. God has shown us that coming alongside us to reveal the depths of divine love for each one of us. And so with the Spirit's help then, let us extend our hands to one another. Let us extend ourselves in order to nurture growth of spirit and soul. For we have received love, the greatest gift. For such a gift of grace, let us give all gratitude and glory to God, from whom all things come, through whom we live, to whom we belong, body and soul. Amen.